Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. There we go. At least we got the authentic John Palmer here. <laughs> it is always good to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm Justin Crosley. I'm filling in for Jamil Zanishev today. Uh, lucky enough to do a great show today with my friend John Palmer and my other friend, John Blickman. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, brewing brothers and sisters. Yeah, it's always good to have Blickman back on the program. Indeed. And uh, we want to give a quick thanks to John for being the sponsor of this show for I can't even count how many years now. Um, but I'm looking to sell. I'm looking forward to celebrating the Brewing Network's 14th anniversary with you in, in Providence, Blickman. I hope you're going to be there. I'll be there in full force. Excellent. That's great. I always love seeing what you set up at Homebrew Con. Yeah, I mean, I remember back in the day. Homebrew Con was just like a couple of easy ups and some, uh, you know, a little bit, little pieces of equipment laying around. Yeah, <laughs> and, a table. Right? Yeah. Right? And now, I mean, everybody does a great job, but John Blickman in particular sets up like it's a super duper extra special everything show. Well, that's because it is. Good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got some new, brand new stuff to talk about. So that's great. Uh, and you always have new products, you guys are always developing something. Um, which, by the way, sometimes I think about that, uh, John, and, you know, even coming up with new topics to discuss on the show can be difficult after this many years, and you're still yeah. innovating new products all the time. I just, I don't know how you guys do it. Well, we've just got a lot of people that brew, and we listen to our customers and, and uh, their suggestions on things they'd like. Got it. Got it. So... Well, I can't wait to see what you're doing next. And uh, Palmer, you and I, we you know we get John Blickman's uh, emails. Which, by the way, folks, if you don't do that already, you should go sign up for the Blickman mailing list. And I had noticed he did an entire uh, email uh, comparison on burners that kind of piqued our interest. Right? That's right. Yeah. So we thought, well, why not get John on and, and to talk with us about that? Um, and my other thought was, gosh, burners just must have come a long way in the years since we've been doing this show, too, and it was time for a revisit. Yeah, that's very true. <clears throat> I had been doing a bunch of um, electric uh, burner on this, you know, stove burner kind of investigations at the beginning of the year. Um, I'm working on a, a new book, uh, basically called How to Brew Your First Beer, because I realize that the current edition of How to Brew is a rather large, uh, heavy tome hmm. to pick up for the beginning brewer, um, even though you know it's intended to be light reading at the beginning. Um, people are just kind of look at that and say, wow, I got to read all this to learn how to brew, but you don't. So anyway, I'm writing this new book, Shorter you know, more to the point. And I started looking at, you know, how much water can you really boil on a kitchen stove? Hmm. And, of course, one person I reached out to was was John. And uh, we started trading emails and, and um, you know, numbers and so on. So, yeah, there's quite a bit of interesting stuff to talk about when it comes to trying to heat water with both electricity and gas. Okay. Well, and that's an excellent point. You know, you're trying to look out for everybody, people in an apartment maybe, uh, who just yeah. have electric burners. And, and I guess I never really thought about that either. I would just get it as hot as I could, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, be, and be patient. Yeah, and, be, and, and don't watch it, because then it never boils. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I don't care what engineering you do, John. That's true. You can never watch it. Um, 
Well, so first, I want to say, too, I like the idea of this book, Palmer. Um, you know, I started the Brewing Network because I got like a little sheet of paper from uh, whatever homebrew shop someone had brought the kit from, and it just uh-huh. still didn't cover everything. Yet, the books out there, yours and Papazian's, were definitely too daunting for me. I just wanted to brew that first beer and get on with it. So, yeah. good idea. Thank you. Well, it's uh, hopefully it'll it'll achieve what I wanted to achieve. Sure. Uh, you know me, as soon as I start talking about something, I tend to dive into details. And so I've got to maintain that big picture focus. That's right. you got to rein your brain in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I know we usually kind of take a quick break here, but we've got a lot to cover today. So I thought we could just kind of dive right into it. What do you think, John? That sounds good to me. Okay. So let's start with, um, well, let's start with an electric burner, shall we? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, your your electric stoves, you know, your gas ranges at home. Um, well, let's start with the electric stoves. I mean, that's what most people have in their apartments and, and, uh, and first houses. Um, John, you know, these are these are 240 volts typically, correct? Single phase? Most would be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you typically have, you know, two sizes of burners on those stove. You have the small burner, which is uh, typically in the neighborhood of 1350 watts. Um, and then you have a larger burner, it's more in the neighborhood of like 2200 watts. Um, would would you agree with that? Yeah, that that's pretty typical. And they're going to range... You know, from manufacturer to manufacturer, and you know how much, you know how big of a unit and all that stuff too. Yeah. So, but that's a that's a good average. Yeah. So I started doing some some tests, um, you know, with my stopwatch and a thermometer, and uh, took a typical, you know, um, five gallon pot. I also used a, a three gallon pot, trying to see how much difference the mass and the material of the pot made. Turns out that was a very minimal difference. The main mass is the water. So you can kind of set the material issue and the pot pot size or the kettle size issue kind of aside. Um, It just really, it more depends on how much water you're trying to boil. And John, John, does that, that includes whether or not um, it's deeper rather than wider? Um, you know, I did not really get into geometry. Okay. The, I did look at different size kettles, um, two gallon, three gallon, five gallon, and, uh, the numbers did not vary that much. It was within, a you know, a couple minutes of each other, uh, out of, mm-hmm. and for example, the, the mean, uh, that I got for two gallons was about 50 minutes on the small burner, the 1350 watts, and about 30 minutes on the larger burner. I see. And so, you know, maybe I'd get 35 minutes or 25 minutes, you know, by varying the the kettle size. Um, now, were so you I, doing these with the lid on or off, John? I uh, doing them with lid on. Okay. Well, yeah. let's see. Yeah, I think so. I think it was lid on. And... Um, yeah, the most you know commercial kettles that you buy, even if it's a you know a thin steel menudo pot, they're going to be uh, about the same geometry. You're not going to get a lot of variation there. I think. Sure. Okay. There's a there is a difference, a twenty minute difference in time there on the small burner and the big burner, though, which I guess shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Now, one yeah. thing to note, too, is, you know, these stoves were really, I mean, they obviously size them for uh, residential cooking um, use. And um, they're really, you know, the most most people ever boil, like if you're doing spaghetti or, you know, that kind of thing, it's probably like a gallon of water. Right. You know? right. So, you know, that's that's one of the, the things are just not sized for making that, you know, that big of a batch of something. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, when I started on the small burner, um, going to three gallons and four gallons, um, it goes from 50 to 70 to 90 minutes, so an hour and a half to try to get four gallons of water to boil on a typical electric stove. Now, 
when you go to the larger burner, which takes uh, advantage of the the uh, higher you know wattage, um, that same four gallons will take you uh, about sixty minutes to bring to a boil. Okay, still a long time. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if if uh, if you've got your day planned, um, you know, such I mean, that's that's achieve that's doable. You know, sure. And I mean, is it safe to say that at this size, we're mostly doing extract brewing as well? So we're kind of bringing less water to boil. Does that make sense? Well, um, I would say most people were brewing on the stove are probably doing extract brewing. Mm-hmm. There, you you could be you know you could be doing an all a small all grain uh, brew. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, bringing bringing four gallons of wort to boil um, um, in a in a kettle that's you know five to eight gallons in this case um, uh, total is going to take you about an hour. Yeah. And uh, John, what your experience in some of the electric systems you've been developing? Um, I think when you get up to that four gallon and an hour uh, long mm-hmm. heating time, it's kind of a gentle boil. It's not the fierce rolling boil that we see on. It, it's more of a simmer, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and one of the one of the problems you're seeing here is you're seeing the rating of um, you know twenty one sixty watts, um, but you know that's a not all of that energy in the electric is going into the actual water. You do lose, um, you know, especially the, the you know, the, the, coil, the electric coil type, um, yeah. you know, the, the more inexpensive ones that you, where you set the kettle. You're, you're losing a lot of that energy just to the atmosphere, so not all of it's going into the kettle. So that's part of the issue, too. Um, the kind where you have the glass top, um, those are generally a little bit more efficient. Um, but then you don't get complete transfer on those up to the kettle itself. So, um, you know, when, when we, and we can talk about this later, the immersion types, you're pretty much getting everything into the kettle. Okay. Now what the glass top, are those the induction type coils, uh, or is it induction and other category together altogether? The induction's another category altogether. I mean, these are the kind that have that, that glass top. I mean, it gets hotter than crap on the top of that thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it just looks like there's the, your traditional coil underneath it. It just makes it a lot easier to clean. So, it, you know, the electric coil heats the glass, and the glass uh, then heats your, um, uh, your kettle. Hmm. Okay. Now, one issue I've heard talked about on forums is that when you're using a large kettle like this on one of these glass tops, you're trapping more of that heat i guess within the stove and uh some people have said that there's been damage to their their stove tops as a result because mm. you had this large surface area covering the burner ah. uh, than normal that's interesting yeah i don't have one of those yeah me either i've got gas stove myself yeah as do i i've used a glass top and not noticed that either um, but almost anything that gets in between the, the, the kettle and the glass does cause a mess. I mean, I think uh, you're right, uh, Blickman, when you say that they're, they maybe created those cause it is, it is easier to clean, but they're still a pain in the ass. Everything just stays there. You got to get one of those magic erasers out every single time, <laughs> you know, and it smokes and, um, it's not the most fun thing to use. I mean, I'll, I'll take gas any day, but, uh, this is good to know because some of us just have to use this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let me ask you this, guys. You know, just because you did mention that a lot of times you're just getting that kind of slow simmering boil, is that still a good enough boil? Well, especially in the case of extract, yes. Okay. Be- because what the the extract brewing process, um, when they concentrate the wort into either liquid malt extract or dry malt extract, um, they are doing a reduced pressure boil to dehydrate it. But they, that also has the benefit of pulling off a lot of the uh, the. the uh, SMM precursor that creates DMS in the wort, and uh, so yeah, that's that in, cooked corn stuff you want out of your beer, unless you're making American lager. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. The the DMS is the cooked corn, and in different styles, it can take on slightly different tones. Um, cooked cabbage become a little more sulfury like that, or smell like tomato leaves. Um, you know when you cro- when you bruise those in the garden. Um, yeah. It, it, you get these sulfury flavors that can come out in the beer. Okay. And uh, but then the so in extract brewing, a lot of that precursor has been boiled off during the concentration process, and so you can you can get away with a less vigorous boil when extract brewing uh, than potentially when say you're doing a uh, all grain brew with a light pilsner malt, um, where you may have to boil. Uh, longer, like 90 minutes, to, to ensure that you get all that precursor out uh, and, and reduce those sulfury flavors. I see. Okay. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that kind of covers your standard electric uh, stovetops, um, we could move to gas, I, I guess. But I just want to check, uh, until we get into, like, immersion um, uh Coils. Is there any other kind of magic electric burner out there, Blickman, besides our stovetop? Well, there are the induction. John touched on that. And um, that basically, um, it's kind of a neat uh, thing. I actually first learned about the induction stuff. That's how they used to uh, uh, heat treat uh, crankshaft journals when, in my, uh, my days at CAT. And uh, so basically you just, uh, you have this very high frequency alternating currents, like 4,000 hertz or something like that. And um, it just gets those electrons in the, in the bottom of your kettle dizzier and crap, and they start uh, heating up the, uh, the kettle itself, uh, the, the metal uh, on the kettle, and that's how they heat. I see. Um, the only drawback there is, they really, you know, to, to do these bigger batches, they're also limited on power, and you really need to step up to 240 volt uh, for those, and they can get pretty expensive, too. Okay. So, you know, that's, you know. Yeah, the good thing is you can buy standalone induction burners from, like, a restaurant mm-hmm. supply store. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you can, I believe, induction stoves are probably out there as well. Yeah, no. yeah, they sure are. Uh-huh. Yeah, then so, you can get 120 volt induction plates, but they're they're pretty weak sauce. They you know it takes a little while to to get them going. Probably would be okay for a smaller batch, you know, and especially now that you know the smaller batches are becoming more popular, like the two and a half three gallon batch size. Yeah, uh, but to get a really good um, boil, John and I do. Uh, uh, a, uh, a brewer on boot camp um, uh, once or twice a year together, and I bring a um, 240 volt induction burner because we they don't want us to light fire in the hotel room for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah. Um, so I use one of those uh, when we do a brew in a bag setup, and and um, that's a I'd have probably a 15 amp uh, 240 volt. Um, 3,500 watt, I think, and that seems to do a pretty good job on. Um, oh yeah, it'll bring batch, or a five gallon batch, ten gallon. Yeah, gallon. it'll 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 bring what seven gallons of water to a boil in about twenty twenty five minutes. Oh wow! Yeah. And those are about two hundred eighty three hundred and twenty bucks, depending on the model and stuff. Okay, so they're not cheap. Well, and yep. I know you're saying it's 240 volt just because I'm curious. When you go do this at hotels, how are they providing power for you? <laughs> or are you providing your own power, too? Oh, that is always the disaster of, I bet. of, the, uh, of the thing. Yeah, you tell them exactly what you need. Oh, no problem, no problem. And then right. you always know they're not going to have it. So I go a day early, you know, so that I can – I ought to just say, can, can I just go wire this in myself? I know, right? <laughs> you're not going to get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's that, – it's, that is so funny because every time we've done one of these uh, BYO boot camps, uh, invariably it's not set up. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, and and they'll be bringing in extra cords, and and then then you know, sure enough, they've got to call in the hotel electrician, and he's got to wire something, and you know, run it over from the next room. It's just it's kind of. <laughs> This last show, I kid you not, we're starting the boot camp. They still don't have power up, and it's been uh, like an entire day before that they didn't get it going. Wow. They get this, this – must have been a newbie electrician guy, and he's wiring in this panel, and he plugs it into the wall, <laughs> and sparks just sprayed oh, out of the outlet. Oh, my It landed on some people. And uh. it was, 
Wait. I just wanted to say, move aside, pal. This is not complicated. Of course. So it turned into how not to brew boot camp with that. That's right. Oh. See, this is, I know we're going off on a little tangent here, but this is why this stuff confuses me. And when you guys talk about electricity or, gosh, anything that's over my head, you make it sound so simple. But then even electricians get confused by this stuff, and I don't understand that. So, so it just confuses me even more. I don't know what more. that guy was. But, but this is simple, yeah. Justin. Okay, 240 there's smoke, volts. There's smoke inside the wires. That's what, what runs, all this smoke. <laughs> and you gotta, you got to get the connections tight so the smoke doesn't leak out. Gotcha. Because when the smoke leaks out, everything stops working. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah, like everything, it's experience. You know, once you've done it a few times, whether it's all grain brewing or yeah. you know, nuclear reactors, it's it's not that big a deal. Okay, okay. But uh, that's fine. yeah. It's but it, uh, it's even it Homer Simpson can run a new plant now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. Start running that little video on your on your phone next time this happens. I want to see that shit. <laughs> um, will do alright do you want to cover your kind of standard gas stoves real quick before we go to the break too or, or is that something a little yeah, in depth okay. let's, let's do that um, the so your standard gas stoves you know again you know uh, KitchenAid, Kenmore um, you know name your brand um, those they have usually they often have variable burners on those uh, though sometimes they'll have the super super boil burner which may be a higher BTU but typically you're looking at anywhere from 5 10 to 15 K 15,000 BTU burners on those that's right I've got my biggest on my stove and I've got one of the like Kenmore things or whatever mm-hmm. is 15,000. And, and I, I consider that a big one for residential. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, uh, John, why don't you talk, a little, before we go to Rick, just def- define a BTU for everyone. Uh, BTU stands for British Thermal Unit, and that is the energy required to raise one pound of water at one degree Fahrenheit. So it's a real crazy unit. But mm-hmm. um, So, you know, that basically is just a, a, a chunk of energy. Um, now, what you'll see burners rate at, so when it's like a fi- 15,000 BTU, well, it really isn't. It, it doesn't just make 15,000 BTU and then stop working. Um, so what they really mean is it's uh, over a period of time, and that would be power. So 15,000 BTUs per hour is the typical unit is per hour. Yes, that's and, right. Yeah, so every hour it will uh, burn 15,000 British thermal units of energy. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that's just the energy of the fuel going in, and and what it's uh, what it's burning. That doesn't necessarily mean that's getting to your kettle, and that's a you know a distinct uh, uh, thing to to remember is um, you can't just take those numbers and go and and do the math and go oh that's going to uh, increase the water in my kettle so much then and that's really what the the you know what we call is a transfer efficiency of how how efficient is it to getting into the kettle and that's going to vary quite a bit but it's usually 25 to 40% uh 40% about as good as you're going to get unless you have some you know like industrial kind of furnace or that kind of thing where you've done something extraordinary but just a kettle sitting on top of a typical burner you're in in that range yeah a lot of the a lot of the energy on a gas stove you know heats up the you're heating up the air you know around the burner and then that hot air is flowing past the pot and that just escapes to the atmosphere yeah yeah okay so yeah, um, gas stove, typical gas stove, three gallons, forty-five minutes, four gallons, about sixty minutes, uh, from my uh, my measurements. So a little faster than than electric. Well, it, it's very comparable, really, to the large wattage burner on an electric stove. Okay. So yeah, not a lot of difference there. Got it. I was just I was just doing some googling while you guys were talking too because I was curious. So I have a gas burner in my house, um, but it's old. Like a, my kitchen's from the '60s. Uh, uh, yeah. 
I've, Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the thing, too. I like the gas burner, the, the stovetop I have, because it's just kind of cool looking. It's like retro looking, and it also still works, and I'm cheap. Um, yep. <laughs> but, but I'm guessing it's down in the 10,000 BTU range. I mean, I'm guessing this thing's at the bottom, because I am not getting much heat out of it. Um, uh-huh. You know, whereas you guys are saying it, this, this can go up to like 15,000. But then, so my brother's a chef, so I thought I'd take a look at like one of those uh, kind of more professional Viking mm-hmm. stove tops. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Well, That's what you have, isn't it, Palmer? I got a wolf. Yeah. Wolf. Okay. So when you get here, if especially if you're in the commercial side, that's what I ended up pulling up here. Of course, you're going to pay $4,000 for this, but you're still only getting up to about 18,000 BTUs. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, so that's kind of a lot of dough for not a whole lot of increase, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, when when we get back from break, I think we're going to start talking about propane burners and bigger bang for your buck. Okay. Okay, perfect. Well, let's do that. I'll get us to a quick break right now, and then we'll come back with John Blickman and John Palmer. Hang in there. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. That's right. John Palmer and John Blickman do know how to turn beer into beer. All right. And, and grain into beer. That's right. Even better. <laughs> uh, and today we're talking about uh, how to do that with burners. So before the break, of course, we covered uh, some some of your standard electric and, and gas stovetops. But now let's get into the more power version here, shall we, boys? Yes. All right. So propane burners, is that what we're talking about? Yep. Propane. Okay. Um, now, the, the, uh, one thing I thought... Um, thought to mention when you're talking about home gas stoves those run on natural gas correct john that is correct yes hey uh just real quick john palmer i think your microphone moved away from your face or something you're right i've had there There we go there you tipped it up better so let's let's start that again so natural gas in the kitchen yep natural gas in the kitchen which is predominantly methane or methane if you're from the uk and um, whereas propane burners run propane, which is uh, the next carbon atom series up from methane, and it provides roughly twice as much energy per mole uh, as methane. And he's not talking about the little things that mess Rodents. up your yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. So I actually, I actually pulled up, and that is, it's just. A little more than twice. So, so uh, natural gas, and this would be like they do it a number of different ways. Um, natural gas is liquefied or is uh, um, is gaseous. Uh, obviously, coming to your house, it's not in, in li- it's liquid form. Um, propane comes in its liquid form uh, in in the tanks. But basically, one cubic foot is one thousand thirty BTUs. Uh, for natural gas and 2516 BTUs for the same uh, volume of uh, propane, both in their gaseous form. Okay. There you go. So if, I hope I don't make you guys go too far down a rabbit hole with this, but then do we use natural gas in our houses because of the format, because gas is easier to, to transfer it to a residential area than, than liquid, or why do we use one over the other? 
Because we have a lot more of it and it's less expensive. Okay, got it. Yeah. You know, so they'll, you know, in, you know, when they, when they tap the well, a small portion of that will be other fractions like butane and propane and others. I see. But the majority of it's natural gas. So that's, uh, yeah. Why they send that Cheap. down the road. Okay. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, propane, um, it provides, you know, a lot more energy per unit. And um, there are a number of uh, propane burners on the market. You see them advertised for turkey fryers uh, and so on, or home cooking, you know, Bayou Classic kind of stuff. But, um, you know, especially in the last 10 years or so, um, propane burners specifically for brewing uh, have entered the market, and they tend to be much more efficient at heating up large quantities of water. Certainly faster. Yeah, certainly (laughs) faster. Um, Now, John, you've you've published some interesting comparisons of burners uh, on the Blickman Engineering uh, site. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've described uh, essentially two kinds of burners. There's the cup and the nozzle burners. Why don't you describe those for us? Yeah, sure. The the cup is the type that I remember when I first started homebrewing in the early '90s, and you know it it, it you know basically uh, it it does the bare minimum of getting the fuel in the air uh, to mix. They're very inexpensive. I think they were originally used for heating or for for uh, liquefying tar uh, that oh, they yeah. would pour on on uh, you know for tarring roofs and things like that that's i think part of the place where they came from or maybe some kind of other industrial use but they're they're very inexpensive they do make uh, a decent bit of heat um they're fairly loud and um not terribly uh efficient um you know it, again it kind of depends how how hard you drive them the harder you drive them uh, you know, there's a limit as to how much heat you can get into your kettle. Yeah, and, now, and we call them a cup because they're they're small, like a, about the size of a coffee cup. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and there's an internal or a, a, a small diffuser put in the middle of it. This cup that kind of spreads the flame out to the edges. The gas right, it kind of looks like a star or gear with a whole bunch of teeth. You know, yeah, and the and the propane will come out of those those areas, and 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 then you've got a little uh, a little pipe on the side that comes in, and um, that that little side pipe where it comes in is is uh, called a venturi, and a venturi is shaped like the those big cooling towers that you'll see by power plants, you know, so they have that hyperbolic look to them. Um, most of them are like that. Some are, are just a straight pipe, but the the purpose for that is when when you hook your fuel up, you're and, and it's coming through what they call an orifice or a little teeny hole. Um, that that creates a velocity through there, you know. So you have an increase in velocity, and that sucks air in with it. So that helps get it some air to burn, and then um, and then when it comes up. Uh, to the outside of the burner, then it gets the rest of its air, and um, and then can uh, uh, then you can you know then you'll make a support a flame. Yeah, and the reason you want that to work that way is because uh, that prevents the uh, burner from backburning, where that flame would get sucked inside the venturi, and uh, you know burn inside, and you would get the heat out. So you want it to you want the flame to be outside the burner, not inside. Absolutely. If you hear that weird growling sound, sometimes it you can yeah, yeah like that. What John just did that means it's burning inside of the venturi, and um, and and that's not uh, operating obviously how it's designed uh, to work. So the fuel should stay pretty um, rich in there to the point where it won't burn. And then they'll have most of them will have like a little dial on the back that you can let a little bit more, a little bit less air in to adjust the flame. Uh, <laughs> So I know this is going to surprise you guys, but I have virtually caught myself on fire with this type of uh, burner. 
Uh, <laughs> and and what just I, I was thinking of it the whole time you guys were talking about it. I was like, I'm pretty sure this was my first burner, and it's on one of our early shows. It's how I became famous for being an imbecile. But uh, <laughs> when you mentioned that adjustable part at the end of it, John Blickman, that yes. that part was missing from mine. So I I started using pieces of cardboard to <laughs> to, to modify the airflow because I I don't know I just whatever I just it, it worked until it didn't. Um, but then, of course, the cardboard eventually catches fire, and so did half my system because of that. So, um, you're the reason all those those three pages of warnings exist. I know you are exactly right. Whenever somebody says, "Well, someone must have done that once," yeah, that's that someone is me. Um, now, now to be clear, this type of burner is not dangerous. Use as directed. So, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very they, they, they work. They they work, and um, you know they made many many batches of beer um but then there's another type which is referred to as the nozzle type which mm-hmm. tends to be more distributed um and why don't you describe those a bit yeah so so the cup burner it basically just comes out like a big jet flame kind of thing um and then spreads over the bottom of the kettle the the nozzle types uh were were brought in oh i'd say in the uh late you know, in that 2000 era is where you first started seeing the nozzle types being used uh, in home brewing. And uh, it basically, um, uh, what you'll really see there is just uh, like a star pattern in a ring. And so the fuel comes up through that, that uh, star cross pattern, and then it goes to these rings. And on the surface, you'll see a lot of little cones with a hole in it, you know, hundreds of the things. And um, and then the fuel can come out in more areas, and instead of coming out like a big jet and a blast, just, to, you know, the other one, you know, it gets her done. Uh, uh, this is more of a, you know, a controlled burn. Uh, more distributed. More- Yes, more evenly distributed, so you get better transfer efficiency into the water in the kettle, and um, you get uh, they don't emit quite as much of the those nitrogen oxides that burn your eyes, you know. So they, you know, they're more uh, efficient that way too. They just burn better, and they're easier to control that burn, you know, uh, where you you can really go from a pale blue to a bright blue, and um, you know, and and adjust the the burners really well. And the, almost all of those have an actual venturi, and it will really help draw more of that air in on those. And so. I hear you mentioning efficiency of of heat transfer it sounds like it's also efficiency of fuel use as well right that's right okay yeah Mm -hmm. so uh and and one thing to note too on on the difference between propane and natural gas um pro the, the natural gas comes to your house it's pumped in uh in gaseous form and um but they they drop it down to like half a psi something like that uh you know so it's like six to twelve inches. Six to ten inches is typical in a house, which is about roughly half a psi. So it's fairly low pressure. Um, and the natural gas or the the propane comes in a tank that's liquid, and then it evaporates. And um, you know, inside there, I don't know, it's like seventy psi or something. So it's pretty high pressure capability. But you'll have a regulator that'll drop it down to you know some like if you're going to run a a, a a stove or a, like a gas grill with it, you know, they'll have a regulator that'll drop that pressure down to, you know, a PSI or two. Yeah. Um, the homebrew burners range, I've seen them range everywhere from two PSI up to 25 PSI. And and what that really does is it, it just lets you flow more fuel out of there. So not only does that uh, fuel have twice the energy per, per mole, um, it actually... Uh, you can just flow a lot more of it because it's it's under a higher pressure. It's like turning your garden hose pressure way up. Um, so yeah. that's one of the other reasons. Not only and and that's probably the more predominant one is you can just flow a lot more fuel through it. But what really limits how much fuel you can push through it is how much air you can get in with it as well. You know, otherwise you get these yellow flames that uh, you know just soot the bottom of your. Uh, kettle with that black nasty stuff and uh and you know and just won't burn right so there's limits yeah and it, or it'll li- it'll lift the flame off the nozzles and it'll start sputtering 
Yeah, and it gets very loud. You know, these that that's one of the other nice things about the um, the nozzle types is uh, um, they're very quiet. I mean, you can hardly hear them, and um, you know, so that's nice when you're out brewing. You know, and you know, you're not having to listen to that growling. Uh, for three hours or two hours while you're heating stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that is a difference. So <clears throat> the, um, the, the bottom line with, with propane, of course, is that, you know, you can heat large quantities of water, seven gallons, in 15 to 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, you know, much more powerful and uh, fairly efficient uh, in terms of, especially in terms of your time. Right. You know, and then there's other, you know, there's other factors, not, you know, with, with those, you're, it's difficult to use those indoors because of all the extra, right. you know, not only the fumes and carbon monoxide and whatever, um, but it, it's just so much heat that passes by the kettle, um, you know, just would overheat the room. And uh, so they require a lot of ventilation if you're going to operate them uh, indoors. Um, so... Generally, you're going to be operating those outdoors, which you know has, presents its own you know issues with uh, well, unless you're in uh, California and and <laughs> places where it's just nice all the time. Yeah, warm. Uh, John, <laughs> you remember? Did you ever brew when you lived in Michigan? No, I didn't. Um, but I, I've I've talked with many people that uh, you know describe standing in their garage on a winter day, you know, with their hat and mittens and so on sorel um, boots <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, you know trying to keep out of the wind and uh it's like wow yeah. okay don't have that problem mm-hmm. when it's when it drops below you know uh 50 degrees here in california i i may say well i'll i'll brew some other week when it's warmer <laughs> <laughs> yeah 50. that's when that's when we go from shorts to pants <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, that's that's ice fishing to me and John Palmer. Fifty degrees. Um, yes. So, so um, yeah. So those are one of the you know one of the things factor in when you're you're trying to select what energy source you want to use as well. And you know, and then some of the other things that we did on the comparison, and and we did some of these comparisons just to kind of you know get people uh, you know understanding how how burners are rated, what that meant, and just some of the other features that you sometimes don't think about that are helpful with home brewing that don't really matter with, uh, you know, turkey frying or whatever. Um, but one of the things is actually um, the actual ratings. And, and you know, we found that I, it's just a lot of companies just – I don't think they ever really measure them or – you know, or or understand how to measure the rating, and it's quite simple, actually. Um, you know, so to measure the 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 BTU of a of a burner, BTU per hour of a burner, um, you basically get yourself a you know fairly accurate scale that can measure up to uh, probably forty pounds in tenth of a pound increments or better, and and you uh, you just weigh that propane tank before you get started. I, I take the regulator off so that weight doesn't uh, mess up the reading, and then you just burn your uh, burner, you know, with a with a kettle on it of water for an hour, and and then put the the burner back uh, or the propane tank uh, back on the stove, and then you uh, multiply it by the um, the BTU per hour uh, or the BTU of uh, that many pounds of fuel that you burned. And I'm trying to look. Up. And I, I just think you said it, it was there. like twenty one sixty. No, no, that's yeah. What it is. No, I think I think that is BTU. Okay. I'll, I'll just look that up. Uh, pound. I had it up and I lost it. Pound of propane twenty one thousand six hundred BTUs. So if you burn two pounds of uh, propane, you would just multiply twenty one six hundred by two. And and that's as that's as simple as the ratings are, and we found um, that uh, some people understood it, and others, you know, had these uh, absurd ratings of like two hundred and fifty thousand BTUs or some crazy hmm. uh, thing that um, you know they clearly just didn't either didn't understand how to to measure it or just tried to estimate it based on how much fuel would flow through an orifice or who knows what, but. Mm-hmm. So I just suggest just be cautious when you when you see re- ratings, and 
um, you know, and, and yeah, and don't I necessarily think, take it for face value. Yeah, and more isn't necessarily better. I mean, sure, the the maximum output of a burner may be, you know, a hundred thousand BTU or one hundred fifty thousand BTU. You know, what are you actually going to be running it at? Um, and you know, uh, and you what know, size how, kettle you're heating too? I mean, that's right. that's way more than you can ever drive into a ten gallon kettle. You know, so if you're on a 20-gallon kettle, um, you know, that's just bigger on the bottom. You're going to be able to drive more of that heat into it. And some of the other problems, you get these, these you know, huge output burners on a smaller kettle. Um, they will absolutely torch your valve and your uh, thermometer. In fact, I think even on the after we got done doing all those burner tests, the, the thermometer was just smoked. It was oh. getting up to uh, eight 900 degrees at the thermometer. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and that's another thing is, you know, there's some that have some uh, built-in shielding. Uh, and we, we put those on our burners, both the Blickman burners and the Anvil burners, um, uh, because you, you've got to protect that valve. One, you can burn the living crap out of your hands trying to turn that uh, valve when it's hot. Um, and then, you know, the thermometers just don't like that kind of heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, those are some nice features. And the other thing, too, is, you know, when, you, when you're getting up, you know, when you're in that, you know, two-and-a-half-gallon batch size, that's something that you can fairly safely lift and move. You still want to be careful. Um, and they're, if they're up on a stove, it makes it a little easier to siphon it down into a carboy or whatever you're using for a fermenter. Hmm. So some of the burners out there have options for leg extensions. And um, those are really nice because it allows you to gravity drain into your fermenter um, and not have to lift the thing. Because lifting, you know, uh, even a five-gallon batch, there's, you know, you're you're probably sneaking up on 100 pounds by the time you add the weight of the kettle in. Um, you know, probably, you know, probably, you know, 60, 70 pounds, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe up to 80, but it gets pretty heavy, uh, lifting that thing up and, you know, and that much hot liquid, you just want to make sure you're, you're doing something safe. So those are some of the features to look at, uh, for some of those burners. And then others will actually run on, uh, natural gas. And some have little, uh, you know, different orifices you can put in if you do have, say, you've got natural gas run out to your gas grill. Um, so, but expect the power to drop way back going from propane to natural gas. Okay. Yep. And, guys, so I'm just, as you're talking, looking through some of the options, of course, looking over at the Blickman site and the Anvil site. Um, so, let's, the Hellfire Burner. Which of course you had to make, John Blickman. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> and oh, we this, only could make that because I thought of a cool name for it, Hellfire. I, you know, <laughs> I that's exactly what I thought. That you sat around one day and that name popped into your head, and you went, "All right, let's make the burner now." Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, same thing with the boil coil. Okay. Like, oh, that came to me. It was an epiphany. <laughs> right. So this one's cool because you can, uh, it, it has like an efficiency mode. So you can go down to 80,000 BTUs, um, I guess, you know, save some fuel. Or you can go into Hellfire mode, of course, which is, you know, all the way up at 140,000 BTUs. And and that's nice to be adjustable, kind of what you were talking about also with maybe the size of your kettle, right? Um, right. You know, and that, you know, what's really happened, it's not like a switch on the thing. What you're really, the, the, the most efficient. Efficient and effective way to burn a, and that's a nozzle type burner. Okay, is um, you don't want the flames lifting off the nozzle, and you want them uh, in that pale blue range. So it should be really quiet. You know, you should just hear the hissing of the fuel going through it. I see. Um, if you add more fuel and more air, they'll start getting bright blue. You'll they'll start. Um, you know, you'll start hearing a little bit more noise. Um, you know, um, there'll be a little bit more. Um, you know carbon monoxide coming off um but when you get to a point where it starts you're adding more fuel and more air they'll start lifting off of the um nozzle off of that nozzle and you they start getting loud the burn becomes very efficient but man you can cram a ton of fuel through there and make an impressive amount of heat so really we rated that that eighty thousand btu per hour was when you're when the the flame is on the nozzle and it's pale blue, I see. And then 140 is when you're just cranking it up because you want to get it done in a hurry, and it will get it done in a hurry. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's and really you're using that for your 20 gallon boils. You know, for your hot liquor tank, like 
that kind of thing. I mean, it's where you're trying to heat a, a big kettle and a lot of water. And you want to do it quickly. And yeah. then when you're actually boiling, though, you'll drop that back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then you you know you guys mentioned scorching of of the kettle or the or the thermometer. Is there also such a thing of you know going too high a power on too small a volume or too small a kettle and actually scorching your liquid as well? Is that a problem? In my experience, it's very difficult to get to that point. Okay. Um, you know, even you know, and and I've not really noticed any difference between you know ever between clad bottomed and um and just a standard bottom our uh, anvil line uses a clad our blickman line is is uh, uh just a single piece steel uh, stainless steel bottom and um boy we've hit it we've hit them with that 140,000 BTU and and there there isn't much difference in heating rate at least not a measurable difference hmm. and 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 really not any you know uh word darkening you know that we've noticed a, a difference yeah. on. It's pretty hard to do that. And, yeah. and one of the reasons is stainless steel is not the greatest conductor of heat. You know, so it's going to get up to whatever temperature it wants to get up to, and then it's going to dissipate everything else to that atmosphere. Okay. All right. And that's just mentioned, by the way, too, folks. You can check out the Anvil Forge Burner, which also includes, and I think the the Hellfire does as well. But the An- Anvil Forge, you could get the um, the leg extensions so that you could, uh, you know, more easily get into your carboys too, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. comes yeah. standard with that height. And we've got a then there's an extra height, um, so you can actually do like a little two two tier system uh, if if you want to do something like that for your all grain brewing. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Very nice. And so yeah, good good propane burner, It'll run you about a hundred dollars. Um, you know, there are more expensive ones or some cheaper ones, but I'd say you know, good mid mid price point is about a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, you guys want to take a real quick break, and we can come back and and circle back to because uh, John, you had mentioned them earlier, uh, immersion coils. Yes. Okay, let's do that. We'll take a real quick break, and we'll be back with John Palmer and John Blickman right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. And John Blickman and John Palmer. And we are going to wrap up our discussion on uh, different types of burners by covering immersion coils, gentlemen. All right. Yeah. Yeah, the immersion coils, uh, the, basically, um, they're, they're the new, new kind of uh, brewing, electric brewing, that a lot of people are doing. Um, John, you've had electric systems now for uh, several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you know in the Blickman line you have the the boil coils and like the full size you know ten gallon uh, systems and up. Um, mm-hmm. But now we, um, you also see on the market today these all in one systems um, like the Grainfather and yeah. um, mm-hmm. Rosilla Rover Brew um, and also now the new Anvil Foundry. Mm-hmm. Um, and these also use these electric uh, immersion coils or electric elements that are, uh, you know, kind of attached to the kettle, as it were. Yeah. And these are pretty efficient. More so, I'd say, are they more, do you think they're more efficient than electric burners on the stove? That's been my impression. They're more efficient than that, but a little less efficient than the actual immersion type. Okay. So the immersion type is... is it basically is um, like a stainless steel tube. I mean, they make them in copper and they make them in inconel, which is a nickel alloy. John, you know all about that stuff. Oh, yeah. A number of different alloys. But basically, it's, a, it's like a metal tube. And, um, and then uh, there's a nichrome wire that goes in the middle of it. And then to keep it from shorting, um, there's uh, magnesium dioxide uh, uh, or MGO. Magnesium oxide, not dioxide, that goes. So it's like this white uh, powder that they 
put inside. And, and basically, you just turn the electric on, and then it heats it heats the surface of of that. And uh, you know, so there's really nowhere for the heat to go other than into the water. So um, you know, those are pretty much hundred percent. You know, hundred percent of electricity you pump into that thing is going into the water. Right. Um, you will lose some radiant heat off the side of the kettle, um, uh, but you're going to have that with, with all of them. And then the um, the type you're seeing in, uh, like the New Anvil Foundry, the Robo Brew Grandfather, those, um, that's more of a uh, contact type. So they they have a, um, uh, a uh, same nichrome type wire that's inside there, and um, that's... Uh, pretty much bonded um, to the bottom of, you know, the, the underside of the kettle. And um, there's a ceramic uh, overlay that uh, gets bonded in there with it. So that ceramic's kind of an insulator, so it drives all the heat to the bottom of that kettle. Uh, um, you'll get a little bit that comes out the, you know, out of the bottom of that thing. I mean, it gets fairly toasty, you know, if you actually touch it while they're they're burning. Um, but you know, I'm, I'll throw a number that they're ninety five percent, let's say, okay, uh, efficient. You know, just to pull a number out, that kind of thing. Um, uh, those are nice uh, because they. Um, it makes it a little bit easier cleaning because you don't have the the coil in a way. But the reality is, cleaning the coils, you know, it takes. 30 seconds to scrub the coils down. Um, now, what I like about the immersion types is they generally are a lower watt density than the um, the contact type. Now, what I mean by watt density is how many, how much power are we putting out through each unit, you know, each piece of surface area on that thing. So, you know, yeah. if you, you know, if you, uh, you know, have a, you know, you can put, 100 watts of power out on a light bulb and it'll you know burn the crap out of your fingers but if you put that same amount of power out on you know the you know a four by eight sheet of steel it's just going to be kind of warm right you know so that you know that's about the closest analogy i can uh give so you want that low enough because it's directly touching the wort you just want that low enough that it's not going to scorch and um you know, you'll hear, you know, low watt density, ultra low watt density and all that. And there, I have never been able to find a definition of this is how many watts per square inch it is. And, you know, we, we've found that if you're below 35 watts per square inch, um, that is virtually impossible to scorch your work with it. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, that's, some of our bigger commercial stuff will get up to the 50 watts per square inch. Um, but that's something to kind of uh, look at. The best thing to do is go online if you've got a product you're looking at and just uh, look for reviews with people that have had luck with it or not had luck with it. Um, so um, anyway, the, the nice thing about these um, the electric immersion ones um, – or they come in all sorts of different power. They're, you know, most are reasonably easy to install into a kettle. Some you have to weld a fitting in. Others you can just drill some holes. Um, but it sure makes it nice to be able to brew inside because you're not, um, you're not putting all that heat into the atmosphere. You really just need enough to ventilate the steam out so it doesn't, um, you know, get too much moisture in your house or stink the house up. I right. personally think it smells great, but my wife instructed me <laughs> that if, if that stinks the house up, you're done. So I put a fan <laughs> in the basement that can pull your hair out. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, these are, I mean, you, and again, we're usually talking 240 volt systems here for these. You can, in, in my opinion, you can do. Uh, a five-gallon batch on 120 volt. If you're if if you'll accept that, you may have to do a little bit longer boil for um, some of the beers that are going to be sensitive to DMS. Yeah, um, because they you know they they're a decent simmer. Now we've got uh, y- you can go up to 120 volt in a residence and get I think like 2100 watts out of it. Um, and that will produce a fairly decent boil. But then you've got to make sure that nothing else is on that circuit and that you can actually draw 20 amps. Most most plugs of, of stuff you plug in is 15 amps. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but at 15 amps, it's fairly, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. 
yeah. that's what your that's what the Robo Brew and um, Grainfather and and those are um, limited to 120 volts, uh, just so that you can plug them into any uh, wall. Here now, in the we United did, States, right here in the states, that's right. And so what we did with the foundry is added a dual voltage capability. So if you did have 240 volt, you could plug it in to 240 volt and just switch, and just, uh, switch it over. And that gives you a much better uh, boil and much faster heating times. So, you know, to circle back to the question, um, you're really going to be a lot happier if you have 240 volt. And if you're going to do 10-gallon batches, you pretty much need to have 240 volt. But don't discount that um, you're – most homes uh, will have a, a dryer plug that will be 240 volt that will have plenty of uh, ampacity, and so will your stove uh, in your in your kitchen. So you can just you know if you can brew in those areas, then you know you you might you have be able to, to get plug that. into. Yeah, yeah. You don't necessarily have to have an electrician come out and run a dedicated circuit. Yeah. Now, even with the 110, um, I've watched some of the, you know, Grainfather and, and Foundry YouTube videos out there, demonstrations by different uh, people. Um, you can achieve a, a five, five, six-gallon boil in these systems at 110. takes about an hour to get up to a boil, I think, if, from, if I remember correctly. Um, but it does work. It does, and it, if you insulate the vessel, that helps too. Some of the, most of the systems you can buy an insulation jacket for. Um, I think the Williams Mash and Boil, and then the Anvil Foundry have a double wall that, uh, that comes standard with a double wall that provides that insulation. So it, that helps um, the boil intensity a bit as well. Yeah, yeah, reduces your heat loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the all-in-one systems these days are probably you know a good. Uh, you know, a more entry level, I think, in terms of, well, no, the total cost of these systems is usually around $500 and up mm-hmm. um, compared to a propane burner and a large kettle. Mm-hmm. Propane burner, I said, like $100. Uh, large kettle, probably also near $100. So maybe $200 for a kettle and uh, burner system versus, say, 500 ish for an all in one. Yeah. And you know one of the things too, and this is how I, I started out doing uh, propane, um, but if you know if you get that a decent kettle, decent quality kettle, um, that can be something that you keep for a long, long time, and you can convert right. that over to electric in the future if you want. Um, you know, and those the all-in-one systems, yeah, they're going to be between four and five hundred dollars ish. I think the Grainfather's like nine hundred, um, you know, but it's got different features on it as well, um, and. Uh, the, the drawback you've got with the electric, especially if you get up to 240 volt, you're talking a lot of power and you have to have uh, a controller that can uh, that can manage that much that much current. And there's some um, you know we've been we've been doing the electric systems for geez I don't like 2010 I think something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, buddy. Um, so. And uh, so we've got just a, you have your basic power control, which basically it's just a volume knob like on your stove. <clears throat> and uh, most of those are going to drive a solid state relay of some sort. And you can use that just to control the power. But if you want to do temperature control, well, that's a different kind of controller. And some of those you can range from, you know, just for the controller, like a simple power controller um, that'll do 240 volt will be in that 150 range, something like that. Um, and then um, uh uh, there's also then the temperature controllers. We're just coming out with uh, one that is um, a uh, uh, price point of around two hundred or three hundred seventy-five dollars to be able to do uh, temperature control. So you can set a temperature and and uh, you know do mash profiling and things like that. Uh, so you know you're you know so it it is more expensive. But one thing to factor in is um, the utility company is considerate enough to pump the electricity to your house so you don't have to go out and keep filling these tanks at 20 30 bucks a pop mm-hmm. so you're you're talking just a you know to do a electric batch at home you're talking you know a dollar or two to do a, a batch of beer of course it depends on what your electric rates are but um, so it's pretty economical to be able to do a batch of beer uh, with electric and you never run out in the middle of a boil you know, that's right. <laughs> Which, that's, that's right. I'm, tell me, I'm not the only one who's done that. 
<laughs> oh, dear no. God, yeah. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Um, gosh, by the way, John, as you guys are talking, uh, it's been too long since I went and geeked out on your website, John Blickman. And uh, boy, are those 10-gallon electric systems gorgeous over there. Uh, all the different. Oh ones. yeah, um, they're just the horizontal systems. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking at like the you know you got a five gallon Herms electric, a ten gallon Rims electric. You, I mean, you got them in all the sizes, and yeah, the horizontal systems with all the bells and whistles. Those are just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty. Those were fun systems to put together, and we were we we're pretty proud to be able to, you know, all our ta- the tables are U.S. made, um, kettles are U.S. made, um, you know, all the stuff assembled in our place. It's it's uh, it was fun to be able to put those together, and they're just awesome systems to use. Yeah, little Ferraris over there, and then of course on the Anvil website, go to anvilbrewing dot com. You guys have the all in ones there. You got the 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 foundry systems are all in ones, right? Yeah, that, and, we just came out with that just a few weeks or a couple weeks ago, I guess. Yeah. Oh, great! Because heck, John Palmer, those are under five hundred. Even you get an all-in-one ten and a yeah. half gallon. It's like three seventy there. So um, they're, they're they're coming down in prices too, aren't they? Yeah, it, you know it's that's why we introduced them. It's uh, you know we're we are home brewers at heart. And well, I guess you know all the other companies are too. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. we 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 think about you know what do I look for in a system, and uh, yeah, yeah. So what we what we put out. Exactly. Yeah, it was a way for us to put together because you know a lot we found a lot of the quality varied all over the place, and you know so we we want to put out a real nice, high quality, durable, reliable product, and most importantly. Um, just knowing that it's a company that's been around for a while, going to be around for a while, and we'll take care of you, you know. And we we're able to do that at a at a um, you know a good price point. I like that. It's not a one size fits all type of hobby, so very good. It is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, I think that about covers it, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully, y'all can go out now and make some more informed decisions when you're either building your brew system or upgrading your burner or whatever you want to do. And uh, John Blickman, thanks so much for helping us out with that. Absolutely. All right. Palmer, I think our next episode is going to be uh, on some brewing enzymes, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, malts and enzymes and their effects on mashing. Kind of wrap that all up for people. Nice all right. little package. Excellent. Tell your friends to subscribe to the Brew Strong podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever they like to get their podcasts. Go over to BlickmanEngineering.com. You can geek out on some of the things we were talking about today, like I did. Uh, or go to AnvilBrewing.com. You should check it all out because there's a lot of options there. All right, Palmer. I'll talk to you soon, right? Bruce Strong. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.